it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, we finished up Galatians last week, uh, so we have a, a couple weeks leading up to Christmas, and uh, Doug and I are going to do a couple Christmas-related messages over the next couple weeks, and building up to our Christmas Eve, 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 I think, uh, service on the 22nd down at uh, Johnstown High School, so uh, it, it's cool to get to talk about Christmas and uh, celebrate this time of, time of year and uh, Jesus coming to this earth and, and his birth uh, as a human baby. And it, it's a story that is pretty familiar to us, and I, I want to talk about just one aspect of the Christmas story this morning, and uh, it's probably not going to be uh, a new fact you, a new piece of information, uh, but what I want you to think about this morning, have you ever thought about it as more than just this, this interesting piece of information about uh, the Christmas story? Do we really know why it's important? And so go ahead and look at Luke 1, and we'll start at verse 26. So Luke 1, 26. And I, I will... I'll warn you, we're going to bounce around to a bunch of different passages today. Uh, so if you have version, you can pull up the live event and follow along there. Uh, if you don't have version, hopefully you're good at your Bible drills and finding passages and verses. I know when I, I was a kid growing up in kids club, we'd have Bible drills where you had to hold the sides of your Bible and then like they'd say the passage and you have to flip as quick as you can and get there. So if you don't have version, hopefully you're good at that uh, this morning because we're going to bounce around a little bit. Uh, but look at Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And so first of all, we need to remember Luke, the guy that wrote this gospel. Uh, Luke was a, a doctor. So Luke is interested in medical things and, and biological things. And, and there's something in here that he wants us to really clearly see and understand. And he actually repeats it three times in just that short little passage that we read. He wants to be clear. He wants us to know that Mary was a virgin. And again, that probably doesn't blow your mind this morning uh, to hear that. If you've been to church at Christmas time before, you, you've probably heard Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a virgin. And if you grew up in the Catholic church, uh, that you were probably taught the perpetual virginity of Mary, that she remained a virgin her entire life which I don't believe is what the Bible teaches, uh, but that's neither here nor there today. What's clear for today and what Luke makes clear to us in this passage today is at the point where Mary becomes pregnant with Jesus, 
and gives birth to Jesus, she is uh, a virgin. She's betrothed to be married. She's engaged to be married to, to Joseph, but uh, they've kept purity in their relationship. Uh, she has not consummated her relationship with Joseph. She's not had sex with any other man either. She's a virgin, which is kind of a, a crazy thing then, because virgins don't just get pregnant. Even with all our, our mod, modern medical stuff that we have now, it still takes in some way a man and a woman to create a baby. Virgins don't just become pregnant. And, and Luke wants to point out to us this, this amazing miracle that happens. And it, it's an awesome miracle. But what I want us to dig into this morning is why is it so important? Was God just sitting in heaven thinking, huh, my son is coming to this earth. You know, it would be a cool idea if he was born of a virgin. That would be a cool miracle to start his life, right? That's not why God did it. God had something deeper going on, something more important in Mary, the mother of Jesus, being a virgin. And that's what I want us to dig into this morning. Flip to Matthew 1. Matthew 1, and we're going to see the first reason why the virgin birth is important. Beyond that, it's just this uh, amazing miracle. Matthew 1 illustrates for us the first reason why the virgin birth is so important. And we're going to start at verse 22, and leading up to verse 22, an angel has appeared to Joseph. And an angel has explained to Joseph, uh, who is uh, the, the man that's engaged to marry the, the mother of Jesus. The angel has explained to Joseph uh, the whole idea of the virgin birth. right? Because if you're Joseph, think about that. If you're Joseph, you're engaged to this lady, and now suddenly she's pregnant, and you know you're not responsible for that. So you're probably feeling some kind of way towards her. And this would be good encouragement for Joseph. The angel comes and saying, Mary hasn't been unfaithful to you. This is a, a God thing that this has happened. And so the angel explains that to Joseph in Matthew 1. And in verse 22, Matthew gives kind of an, an editorial comment about the virgin birth. He wants to make something clear to his readers about this virgin birth thing. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew wants to make it clear, this isn't just an amazing miracle, but this is actually something that fulfills prophecy that fulfills a, a prediction that was made much earlier in history. Matthew quotes there from Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah was a guy that lived about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And he was a prophet of God, meaning he was a, a spokesman who spoke on behalf of God. And Isaiah made a, a lot of different prophecies, but one of them that he made is he said that there's this Messiah, there's this Savior who's going to be born. He's going to be God's son, and he's going to be born to a virgin. 
And think about that. That's a, a pretty bold prediction, right? Jesus in his life fulfilled over 60 prophecies. And I, I just reread an article the other day that talked about this. For Jesus to fulfill even eight of the 60 prophecies that he fulfilled, the, the odds of that are just astronomical that, that he would be able to do that. Look, look it up sometime. It's pretty astounding just how low the percentage chance of even eight of the 60 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. But some of the prophecies are, are like uh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, which that narrows it down, right? Uh, that limits it a little bit, but there's still a lot of babies born in Bethlehem each year. Uh, I was driving to Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago, and on the way to Pittsburgh, there's uh, outside Monroeville a sign for a hospital, and it has like a little counter on the side, and it said something like 70 babies delivered this year at that hospital. And don't quote me on that number. I could be off. It was somewhere between 50 and 100. I don't remember exactly. It doesn't matter. But that's how many babies were born at like that hospital in Monroeville. So a prediction that a baby would be born in Bethlehem, there's a bunch of those each year. It kind of narrows it down. And when we take the culmination of 60 prophecies, it, it makes it pretty clear who the Savior is. But think about this one prophecy in, particu in particular, that Isaiah says the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. That's not just low probability, that's impossible. It doesn't happen. And Isaiah said this is what is going to happen. And guess what, 700 years later, it happens. A virgin becomes pregnant. And so the virgin birth is important, first of all, because it fulfills prophecy and it's this neon sign from God saying, this baby is my son, this baby is the Savior. For anyone who was paying attention, God does this awesome miracle and beyond just doing this awesome miracle, he called his shot 700 years before it happened. The virgin birth shouts that this is the Savior. This is the Son of God. Because this impossible thing happened that was predicted 700 years before it would happen. But there's more. As, as we dig a little deeper, there's even more importance to the virgin birth. Go back to Luke chapter 1. Back to Luke chapter 1. And we got to understand a, a little bit about how the virgin birth happened to dig a little deeper into why it's important for us practically in our life even today. Look at Luke 1 verse 34 again. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So Mary apparently has had the birds and the bees talk from her parents, right? She knows how this getting pregnant thing works, and she says, I haven't met the prerequisites for that. And she asked the angel, how is this going to happen? And I, I think the angel's response shows us a little bit of the goodness of God and a little bit of God's love and care for his people. Because the angel could have been, it could have just said, God's going to do this, don't worry about how it's going to happen. God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's, just don't worry about it. But God is good and God cares 
for his people. And so God, through the angel, gives Mary an answer. He doesn't give her all the nitty-gritty details about it. But he gives her some information about how this is going to happen to calm her and to give her peace about this situation. Because God loves and cares about his people. And he, he wants to take care of them. And he, he wants to, to tend our hearts. Look at the angel's answer in verse 35. And the angel answered Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy, the Son of God. And so the angel says to Mary, first of all, this isn't going to be some kind of biological anomaly. Uh, Mary didn't live next to the Nazareth nuclear power plant and somehow some cells mutated inside her and formed a baby. The angel is very clear, this isn't just some uh, anomaly, this is a God thing. God is going to come and do this. God's Holy Spirit will come upon you and somehow inside of you, God will form this baby and the spirit of Jesus, the, the divine son of God who's existed eternally, will be united with that human nature and that human body inside of you. That this baby inside of you will be the God, man, 100% God, 100% man. We'll dig a little bit more into that as we go. But the angel makes it clear, this is a God thing. And, and I don't know all the details about how God did that. But if you think back to the book of Genesis, and in the beginning of the book of Genesis, God takes some clay, and he forms some clay together, and creates a body for Adam. And then God takes one of Adam's ribs, and somehow forms from Adam's ribs a, a body for Eve. And so if God can do that, it's not too unbelievable that he can somehow inside Mary weave together this body and then join the spirit of Jesus, God's son, with it. And so God does this amazing thing in Mary. If you want to impress your friends and relatives this Christmas, the big theological term for what's going on here is the hypostatic union. Big theological term to impress your friends and relatives over the Christmas dinner table. It is the uniting of the divine Son of God, Jesus Christ, with a, a human nature and a human body to make this God-man who's going to be 100% human and 100% divine. And how that math works out, only God really knows. And that, that's all right. It's all right that we can't fully wrap our brain around it. Because there, there's some things in the Bible that uh, understand as we look at the Bible, we're trying to understand God. And if we could understand everything about God, he would actually be less than us. He would no longer be God if we can fully wrap our brain around him. There has to be some things that are still kind of mysterious, still we don't quite get them. But this is what the scripture teaches. And so by faith, we, we believe that. And it doesn't have to be an outrageous faith. It can be a reasonable faith, as I talked about a couple months ago. 
but we still we have some faith in what God is doing and what God has done. Look at Philippians 2, verse 5. Paul's going to try and lay out a, a little bit more for us of this hypostatic union thing, this Jesus becoming man thing, coming to this earth. Look at Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Paul says, Jesus was God. He, he has always been God. John said that he, he was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's how John lays it out, and, and Jesus was always God. But Paul said at this point in history, Jesus humbles himself. He doesn't give up his divinity, but, but he also takes on humanity. And he gives up some of his uh, privileges as God to, to live a, a human life on this earth. To experience weakness and pain and temptation and even death on a cross. That's what the virgin birth means. That's what the, the virgin birth did. God humbled himself to come and to be like us, and to be in our world. That's a pretty amazing and a pretty awesome thing. And it has some pretty deep practical implications for us. I know I got really deep theologically, philosophically with you there, but there are a lot of practical applications to us, and this should be a very meaningful thing to us, in our day-to-day -day life even. Look at Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. And we'll start at verse 14 then. Hebrews 4, 14. It's pretty deep stuff to try and wrap your brain around. But if we can understand it a little bit, then we can see how meaningful this is just in our day-to-day -day existence as we go through the ups and downs and the, the good times and the tough times in this life. And the author of Hebrews lays this out for us a little bit in Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The author of Hebrews says we, we have this great high priest, this, this person interceding between us and God. Uh, we have this great Savior 
And he's not just a God who's up there, but he's a God who's come here. And he's a God who has experienced weakness and temptation. It says that he was tempted in every respect just as we are. That Jesus has experienced the things that we go through. That when we go to God with our struggles, with our weaknesses, with our our temptations, we don't go to a God who just theoretically understands what we've been through. We don't go to a God who's like, oh, I've heard how bad this cancer thing is. We go to a God who has experienced pain and and loss in, in an experiential way through Jesus and his life on this earth. And that's an incredibly important thing. I'm sure you've been through struggles before in your life. And if you've been through struggles, you know that the people that are most impactful in those times of struggle are the people who have been through that same struggle and can relate to that and can speak into your pain because they understand it. It's not the people that have said, well, I've read 20 books on this subject, and so I can tell you all the emotions you should be feeling in the 10-step process to get through this. It's the people that can look at you and say, I, I've been there before. Uh, my dad passed away a couple of years ago, and, and that was a, a tough time for me, and, and a, a ton of people reached out to me and cared for me, and, and I'm thankful for, for all of them. Uh, I mean, that, that part was awesome, the people loving and caring for me, and uh, everybody had an impact on me in a different way. But the person or, or one of the people that was most impactful in that time for me was a friend of mine who had lost his mom a couple years before that. That he, He's my age, and he had lost his mom, and he, he could sit down and he could look at me and he could say, I know exactly what you're feeling. I have been through this. I know how much it hurts. But he could also look at me and say, and I know how much God is going to use this and what God is going to do in your life through this situation. Man, that that impacted me so much because he knew. Not just because he had read about it or talked to somebody else that had gone through it, but because he had been there. And here's the thing about Jesus coming to this earth. When we go to God, we go to a God who has been there, a God who understands what we're going through. A God who says, I I know sadness, I know hunger, I know pain. When you're hungry and you're tempted to steal a loaf of bread, Jesus says, I've been there before. Remember, Jesus was in the desert for 40 days, didn't eat. He's hungry. Satan comes to him and says, Jesus, I know how you can get some bread. It's not the right way to do it, but it's an easy way to get some bread. If we're hungry and we're we're tempted to steal a loaf of bread, Jesus says, I've been there. When life is is beating you down and, and the world is telling you you just need to get more, get more money, get more power, get more stuff. That, that will make everything better. Just press into those worldly things. Jesus
Jesus says, I, I've been there before. Again, he was in the desert for 40 days. He didn't have anything in the desert. Satan takes him up on this high place. And Satan says, look out over all the world here. I will give it to you. Kind of Lion King-esque, like it should all be yours. And Satan takes Jesus up and shows him this. When Jesus is at his weakest and lowest point with, with nothing, Satan says, this can be yours. All you have to do is bow down to me. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to die. I can just give it to you. And so when we're feeling that pressure of the world telling us, you need to get this stuff, you need to, to get ahead, and we're feeling that temptation, Jesus says, I've been there before as well. I know what that's like. And so because Jesus was human, we go to a God who can relate to our struggle. But did you catch the other really important thing in that passage? He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's a God that can relate and understand, but, but also because Jesus was still divine, because Jesus didn't have an earthly father to pass on his sin nature, which is another big theological thing that I won't blow fry your brain with more today, maybe another day. Right, but because Jesus was divine, he, he felt that temptation, but he went through it without sin. He overcame the struggle. He overcame the sin. And, and he did it practically in his life. As he walked on this earth, he, he went and he, he didn't sin. The only human ever not to sin. Because he was still God. He overcame sin practically in his day-to-day -day life, but he also overcame sin eternally when he died on that cross, the perfect, blameless, spotless Lamb of God who died in our place to take the wrath of God on that cross. He overcame and defeated sin eternally. And so we have a God that can relate, but we also have a God that can help. A God that overcame sin and, and offers us the opportunity to, to overcome the sin and the struggle in our life as well. And that doesn't mean that our, our life is going to be perfect. We're still going to struggle and have tough times. That doesn't mean we're, we're never going to sin. We, we still mess up all the time, but it, it means those things don't have to destroy us. We can trust in Jesus and He can bring us through the struggle, we can trust in Jesus and sometimes fight the temptation and avoid sin. We can break sinful habits and sinful patterns in our life that are destroying our life and start to pursue Jesus and do good things of eternal benefit and purpose. Because he was still God. Because he lived without sin, because he died on that cross as a sinless sacrifice, we, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, can begin to overcome the sin and the struggle in our life as well. And so since we have a God who can relate, since we have a God who has overcome, then my challenge for you is to do what it says in verse 16. Let us then 
with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. My challenge for you is press into Jesus in your struggle. Don't let your struggle, don't let hard times in your life pull you away from God, but press more into Jesus in the struggle. He's not a God that's sitting up there going, oh man, look at that situation you got yourself in. He's a God that says, I know the struggle. I want to help you and care for you through it. I want to see this thing grow you into a better man and a better woman and to love and cherish Jesus more. With confidence, draw near to God. Press into Him in your struggle. The virgin birth is is important. It's not just a, a Christmas fact, but it leads to all these things that allow us to have this deep relationship with our Savior and God. And so this morning, just be amazed at the the virgin birth. What a a miracle that is. Be amazed that God called his shot 700 years before it happened, and then he he did it. And in your struggle, press into a God who is near, and a God who loves you, and a God who knows, and a God who can help you to overcome. Let me pray for us. Lord God, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth in it. Lord, we thank you that you just do awesome and amazing things and and let us be astounded in that. Lord, we we also look into your word and there's things that are deep and and things that are kind of hard to understand and help us to to wrap our minds around you as as best we can. But let us see the, the practical side of that as well how much it shows your love and your care for us and and how much you want to be with us and near us. Lord, I I don't know the struggle that everyone's facing this morning, Lord God, but I know that we face a lot of struggles in this life. Let those things press us into God. Let those things draw us nearer to you so that we can overcome them in your strength and be greater men and women of God tomorrow than we are today. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.